Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo with Sam Monson. We are reviewing another exciting weekend of NFL football. Ready to go, Sam? Yes, we are. I am in the studio. The city is lit I'm up not. orange. The Bengals are in the Super Bowl. And you're sitting your ass at home. I am. I am. I apologize. Hmm. But right. uh, it's fine. But we're here. We're here together. In an audio world, everybody hears us the same. So okay. we're ready to go for the most part. <laughs> All right, let's get into another ridiculous weekend, Sam. Did you think we could actually top divisional round? Cool. I don't know if it did, but no. it came pretty close. I don't know if it topped it, but it certainly, I think, backed it up with another fantastic week, you know, which didn't, it didn't seem that likely, A, based on just the probabilities of, you know, the single greatest weekend of NFL football ever, maybe, in the divisional round, back it up next week, but also, you know, a couple of quarters into that Cincinnati Kansas City game, you're like, eh, okay. You know, last week was great. You can't have you can't ask for it twice in two weeks, and then the comeback starts again. Right, and and that's where yeah, it definitely it definitely felt like there was going to be a letdown for the entire weekend at first, but clearly the uh, the hometown Bengals heading to the Super Bowl, Sam, as you said, they uh, they painted the whole the whole city. It's all orange right now. Mm -hmm. But uh, before we get into it, this is your last chance. It's your very last chance to win the ultimate game day feast, whether it's football success or financial savvy. Winning starts with asking us questions. Would you like to know what's behind the scenes with uh, with Al from Sunday Night Football? Would you do you want to need to know on your financial future? Western and Southern is teaming up with our very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. So listen up closely. Today is the last day. To submit your question, every submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate feast to celebrate football's favorite Sunday. We'll cover your catering up to $2,500. Just listen to that. Up to $2,500. 
coordinate your order from a restaurant near you and have it delivered on February 13th, 2022. And don't forget to check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western and Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. So you got to submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash feast. One more time, that's westernsouthern.com slash feast. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description. Remember, with Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. So please get your questions in because the feast is available. And uh, it's we're running out of time here. All right, man, let's get into the Sunday AFC championship game. The Chiefs jump out to a 21-3 lead. Not just a 21-3 lead. They scored on every drive easily, the Chiefs. It looked like they were going to score 50, and all they did was score three from that point on. And Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals pull off the comeback in overtime. We got we overtime discourse, too. We can have, we can have some overtime again, discourse yeah. again. The, uh, Great. the biggest comeback in conference championship history. What was amazing is just how closely this game replicated what happened the first time. Like, a couple of weeks ago, this is exactly the same thing that happened. The Chiefs get out to a big lead. They held multiple score leads in that game three or four times, and then eventually they just stopped scoring. The Bengals picked it up, and they executed this great comeback. And, yeah, that game, there was some weird stuff late on. You know, there was one drive where the officials seemed to take it upon themselves to basically say, no, no, Cincinnati is going to score this drive, whatever happens. We're going to keep it going. Um, The only thing that was really different is just the sequence of who had the ball at the end was different, right? Like instead of Cincinnati having the ball and being able to chew up all that clock and the the weird go for it and and try and keep the, the ball in their hands late in the game in the first drive, they scored with, what, six minutes left, something like that, and then Kansas City had the ball for that, that kind of the craziness as the clock ticked down. But other than that, like this game almost perfectly replicated the previous one and complete with all the strange stuff. Like the the first half, second half splits for Kansas City against Cincinnati this year are absolute craziness. Do you have those in front of you? Because you, uh, they were... Yeah, I have whatever I sent to you yesterday. Uh, I'll read them out. Um, so Patrick Mahomes, good. first half... Again, in two games against Kansas, or against Cincinnati this season, ninety three point four PFF grade. Uh, I haven't checked these since the since the grading was kind of checked and reviewed overnight. Uh, second half, thirty six point six. So grade essentially dropped sixty grading points between the first half and the second half. Ten yards per attempt in the first half, three point four in the second half, ninety percent adjusted completion rate in the first half, sixty five point five in the second half. 147 passer rating in the first half, five touchdowns, zero interceptions, 35 passer rating in the second half and overtime, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. That, and the thing is, it's not like Cincinnati, you know, went into the halftime locker room, figured out 17 things to do to Mahomes and like adjusted. They basically did the same thing. It just started working in the second half. It was unbelievable how different the game felt. And clearly, I mean, Mahomes didn't seem like the same person after the end of the first half, after that, uh, you know, just poor end of end of half sequence. Right. I mean, we're, we're one week removed from Mahomes and the chiefs going 13 seconds down the field for a game winning t- game tying field goal and all this stuff. And in this game, they blow the end of the first half situation, right. They didn't get any points. And then 
had the opportunity to get a game, you know, game winning touchdown at the end there in the fourth quarter and uh, almost threw that away. But Mahomes, uh, this was a, this was an epic collapse, right? So I, credit to the Bengals. They did something for that, you know, to happen. This was an epic collapse though, I think from the chiefs as much as it was a great win from the Bengals. And that's not, listen, Bengals fans, that's not taking anything away. You still get to go to the Super Bowl. You still won the game, but you got to look at this from both viewpoints here. The Bengals have done a great job making comebacks. There's a reason why Joe Burrow's always smoking cigars at the end of big games because that dude shows up when he needs to and everything. But I think this was an epic collapse by the Chiefs. And uh, it was... It was incredible. They could not move the ball at all in the second half, and they kept turning it over. They're the first points that the Chiefs scored in the second half were the points to tie it up and send it to overtime. Yeah. Like, they literally didn't score in the second half until that that point. The, the end of the first half sequence, though, was everything in this game. Like, this was getting away from Cincinnati in a pretty big way. They were 21-3 down. They couldn't really score. They weren't moving the ball well. Every time the Chiefs touched the ball, they were putting up a touchdown. And then they actually do – they get their score. They get a touchdown. Um, so it's it's 21-10. to 10, But there's a minute on the clock, right? And we obviously it takes, takes the Chiefs 13 seconds to put up points, let alone a minute. So it's a minute on the clock before halftime – Kansas City has the ball. They're getting the ball to start the third quarter. And this was when Ben Stockwell texted me and he's like, Kansas City is going to score both before and after the half. It's going to be like, you know, 30-something, 10 by the time Joe Burrow even sees the ball again and this game's done. So the fact that they got that touchdown big, then were able to hold them slash watch them implode, you know, in the shadow of the goal line just before halftime and not get any points was such an important sequence because they didn't get those scores. Uh, they they got a couple of plays. They got right into the shadow. They had a, what, 13, they had the 13 seconds left. And then Eli Apple has defensive pass interference in the end zone. And by the way, the pass interference was pretty interesting as well as a general thing in this game because the officials... This, was, this is one of the most sort of flag-averse crews in the NFL generally who obviously were looking at this game and saying, do not throw a flag unless somebody gets absolutely, like, mugged on the play. We're just, this is not going to be a game where the officials decide it, which generally I think is a good thing. But the only problem with that attitude is there's literally zero reason or zero difference between the plays where they don't call and there's obvious, like, illegal contact, pass interference, whatever. And then the one random play where they decide, no, that's too far. Let's throw the flag on this one. So Cincinnati didn't get a pass interference call when uh, T. Higgins had like his right arm held back for a couple of seconds, tried to one-hand catch it in the end zone. Arguably the play right after that was a, a pass interference on Jamar Chase as well, though I would, I would fight less hard for that one. Agreed. And then they do get a pass interference thrown against them on Eli Apple. Anyway, so that sends, sets Kansas City up first and goal from the one-yard line with nine seconds left. Incomplete pass, and then they wanted another shot, or Mahomes wanted one more shot, threw it essentially behind the line of scrimmage to Tyreek Hill and bet on the idea that Tyreek Hill in a little bit of space is just going to make a couple of guys miss and get into the end zone. Eli Apple takes him down. There was another guy there as well. They stop him short. And they didn't get any points before the half. And then coming out of halftime, 
was basically the first like real stop that the Cincinnati defense had. And all of a sudden they went they went from a situation where Kansas City had two shots to put up, you know, two more touchdowns and really put the game away to all right, we're still we're still alive in this. We still have the ball. Um, it's only quote unquote twenty one ten down. We have a whole half to work and to try and execute this comeback. So that that like before and after sequence, just before and after halftime, was everything in this game. Yeah, just to paint the picture again too. So first off, at the end of the half, the the pass interference that you that you um, were referencing. That was another one. They didn't really show a good replay that showed if the ball was released or not when the contact was uh, occurred. But that also felt like one that was either a holding or an illegal contact or something that was before the play that just became a spot foul. But either so it did look like it was going to be a disastrous play for the Bengals. But then the Chiefs had, like Romo said, was it nine seconds? He's like, oh, you got time for three plays. And Mahomes buries the first one. They have about five seconds left. And Romo, for, for his flaws, Sam is really good with the clock management stuff. He's really good at telling the viewer at home, you know, how much time is going to be left, how much time, time, you know, everything takes and all that. So he was, he was complimenting Mahomes. I mean, there's a lot of Mahomes compliments in the first half because he was nearly perfect, but he was complimenting Mahomes for burying it uh, and saving it a little bit of time. And then with five seconds left, that was the pass to Tyreek. And I thought that the, I thought that the Bengals did a really good job of swarming to Tyreek Hill. And, you know, when you're watching Tyree kill, you're just waiting for him to outrun the defense or, or to squeeze through the defense. And there was a lot of plays where the Bengals had two defenders and they, you know, they closed in on him and they did a good job of avoiding what the, what the bills couldn't avoid was that 64 yarder where he ran through the defense yesterday. Um, let's talk about Mahomes a little bit more in that first half uh, before we get to complimenting all the Bengals like crazy, right? There's also like, the Tyreek thing is, <clears throat> so yeah, they they avoided the big dagger play, you know, the fifty yard bomb. But like Tyreek's ability to run away from somebody and stay away from them is absolutely preposterous. Like the the touchdown in the back of the end zone uh, was it their first touchdown? First touchdown with Mahomes on the run. Yeah, yeah, where he and this was this is the kind of thing with Mahomes is so he, he breaks contain takes an age, starts running around, starts running out to right field, and then Tyree kills there in the back of the end zone. Like, that started the complete opposite side of the field where Tyree Hill just runs like an in-breaking route. Once he makes his break, he springs like a couple of yards of separation on Cheetah Bay Awuzier, who then from that point on is in a dead sprint across the field and covering, like, the majority of the field. So we're talking, like, 30, 35 yards of absolute breakneck, 100% full dead sprint. And he can't get back, like, two yards that Tyree Kill separated on him over the course of 30, 35 yards. Like, Tyree Kill made a separation, and, like, he's running full speed as well. But, you know, when you're running full speed sort of looking for the ball, it's not 100% because you're, you know, you're tracking the quarterback, you're trying to, keep an eye on like where the space is. You've got a few other things yeah. working away at the same time that's sort of chewing up a percentage of the runtime, whereas all Ouzier is focused on is running as fast as, po- as humanly possible to try and eat back the two yards that Tyreek Hill separated on. Over 30, 35 yards, Hill stayed in front. I, there's no other player in the NFL that can do that, literally none. Like He has speed 
unlike anybody else, that you just simply cannot get back the separation you give up once you give it up. And you will give it up because his quickness and his breaks are as good as anybody else as well. You usually usually don't combine that level of quickness and speed. And then that type of speed also doesn't generally exist. So, yeah. Right. Like that that falls under the category of literally unstoppable. Like you cannot do anything about that. You can't. He will get that separation because he's quicker than you are and you he's faster than you and you simply cannot chew back the couple of yards that you give up. Like if that's any other receiver in the NFL, Ouzie closes that gap and is in position to make a, a play on the ball in the back of the end zone because it's Tyreek Hill. It's enough separation that Mahomes can just lob that ball up. And it's a half yard out in front of Ouzie, even though that dude has been at a dead sprint for like 35 yards across the field. Between what Tyree Kill brings to the table, uh, Mikal Hardman and his speed, Mahomes was not missing any throws, right? In the first half, he had the three touchdowns. Uh, was it like a drop and a throwaway as far as his only incompletions go? I mean, he just was not missing. It looked like, hey, this is this is the Chiefs, right? Raiders, I mean, uh, Sam's old shtick, you know, hey, the Raiders fixed the Chiefs and, you know, they're on their way, right? I mean, it just, it all looked like that uh, until the very end of that first half, so... Uh, with with Cincinnati running that too high game plan that caused Kansas City all those problems earlier in the season. Like, this was sort of the first half was evidence of that, the Chiefs being fixed by the Raiders because Cincinnati was running running the blueprint, right? This is what you do to cause Kansas City problems. You force them to be patient. You make them make a bunch of sort of high, uh, low probability but high leverage plays. And if they can do that, fine. They were doing it in the first half. Cincinnati was inviting them to do all this stuff. And you had plays like that where they just they break contain and Patrick Mahomes just waits long enough for something to uncover and bam. And at that point, you're done. Like if you can't, if, if they're in that kind of mood, you can't defend them. And that's what happened in the first half. And then it just disappeared. So in the second half, this is where, it, so the Chiefs were, the, the Bengals couldn't stop the Chiefs in the first half. In the second half, it, it just progressively got worse for the Chiefs, better for the Bengals, right? The first couple stops that the Bengals got were like just off of Travis Kelsey's hands, just off of Byron Pringle's hands. I thought the Bengals did a much better job hanging in tight coverage, still kind of taking away Patrick Mahomes' first read, uh, mostly making him play outside of structure. And they would just make a little, a little stop here, a little stop there. And then I think... There was a lot of turning points in this game, but Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball to B.J. Hill for the interception, maybe throwing it to him is a, is a harsh <laughs> phrase. But when you watch the play, Trey Hendrickson, who they dropped into coverage a bunch too, this was part of the game plan as well. Hendrickson had a couple big rushes, two sacks in there, but they dropped him to coverage a bunch too to just have a uh, more of a three. That, that was part of the way the Bengals adjusted was rushing three, uh, taking away the short stuff, right? So it, the the Chiefs' adjustment to the too high strategy was to just, all right, we're gonna we're gonna flood the underneath stuff and get rid of it. The Bengals started dropping an extra zone defender and taking away that. And that is where Mahomes got flustered. But on that BJ Hill play, you know, BJ Hill kind of peels off his his guy and picks it off. Um, I think it was an RPO. Yeah. Looks like a screen at first. It was an RPO and behind B.J. Hill was Trey Hendrickson, who was in between him and Demarcus Robinson. Like Mahomes 
that was an ill-advised pass, even if the defensive tackle, B.J. Hill, did not pick it off. B.J. Hill, who they picked up for, uh, former first-round pick, Billy Price for the Bengals. But um, that was obviously, I mean, that was the, the first turnover, right, of the game. So that was a huge turning point, of course, for the Bengals' defense because it went from, hey, we're, we're like barely stopping the Chiefs, we're barely stopping the Chiefs to, oh, we just turned them over. Yeah. And we are, we're, and now Mahomes is starting to look flustered and the Chiefs' offense just did not have any answers for this Bengals' defense and their adjustments in the second half. Right. And by the way, like complete random aside, but I think Bill Belichick won the, the Pro Football Writers Association uh, Executive of the Year, you know, award that they do. Um, and look, the, the Patriots made some nice moves and they were probably better this year than people thought they were going to be. But like most of the spending they, <clears throat> they had in the offseason, like, it didn't do that well. I mean, they... They made two different tight ends, the joint third highest paid tight end in the NFL. One of them barely featured, and the other one, I mean, he caught <clears throat> caught some touchdowns, but wasn't like a massive feature of that offense. Whereas the Bengals, almost every single thing they did from an executive personnel standpoint, they nailed it. Like Trey Hendrickson backed up a career year with an even better career year and was massively important in this game. Um, Jamar Chase, they had the Sewell-Chase debate. Chase has been one of the most impactful rookies in the NFL. Uh, they flip William Jackson for Awuzie and Mike Hilton. Certainly Hilton was big in this game as well, was big in the game previously. They get rid of arguably their worst offensive lineman for the guy that intercepts Patrick Mahomes in the AFC Championship game, and they get like a pick on top of that. It was like a conditional seventh thrown into the bargain. The, like the Forget Bill Belichick for executive of the year. That belongs in Cincinnati, I would argue, fairly be- conclusively. And that's uh, Mike Brown, who still has some personnel control, and Duke Tobin, who does most of, I think, the heavy lifting when it comes to yeah. that. But that's, uh, yes, I think uh, that's where my vote would have went. I think that's where my vote went when I uh, when I went with Peter King and helped Peter King out with his article, went with Duke Tobin there. Um, uh, because you're right, from the drafts to those those three massive free agency hits, great job by the Bengals. They, yeah, they have a bunch of moves, I think, that are significantly better than anything that Bill Belichick did any one move that he made with the Patriots, and the sum of them I think is definitely higher. Um, uh, here's a quick stat. Against a three-man rush in the – let's we'll start with the first half for Patrick Mahomes. First half – so, again, it's not like the Bengals – you made this point. It's not like they went into the locker room, ripped up the first-half game plan, came out with the second-half game plan that was completely different, right? Which, by the way like, – which they were calling for on the broadcast. Did you hear that? Like, yeah. During the, it, maybe in the second quarter, or whatever, they're like, to Romo's like, I mean, how quickly do you just throw away the game plan? And Nance is like, soon, you know, because it's not working. Well, yeah. it started to work. Now they did. They did a little bit more of the three-man rush stuff. But so in the first half, against the three-man rush, Patrick Mahomes goes four for seven, fifty-seven yards with a drop pass in there. Uh, 70 grade, pretty, you know, fine. That was a, that's a good, it's a good seven dropbacks for Patrick Mahomes in the second half though, the Bengals did it a little bit more, you know, to their credit, 11 dropbacks. Mahomes went three for seven for 15 yards and four sacks. And, uh, one of those sacks was, a you know, well, all the sacks were bad. I think I, there's, there's a whole story behind the, behind the four sacks, which all occurred in the fourth quarter for Patrick Mahomes. And this is why I'm calling it more of an epic collapse for the Chiefs 
because Mahomes, who is really good and not just avoiding pressure. I mean, he runs into pressure, but he runs away from it. He's great at avoiding those negative plays normally. These weren't just negative plays. These were inopportune negative plays. This was a combination of you can't take the, you shouldn't be taking the sack the way you manipulate the pocket, but also just the game situation was, was not, I mean, it was just bad. It was just bad overall. Like a huge thing. Um, a huge thing was just Cincinnati started making plays on third down in particular. Like Trey Hendrickson was getting sacks on third down. They timed up those plays where they just had incredibly good coverage on those third down plays. And there's a couple there where, you know, Mahomes takes a sack. It's clearly a coverage sack when you look at how it's working. You know, he's got all day in the pocket. His average time to to getting sacked was like nine seconds, which I, I don't – that's an incredible number. I mean, a nine-second play in the NFL is nuts. Just being able to keep it for nine seconds before you get a sack is a hell of an achievement in itself. The fact that that was how, how long Mahomes had the ball on average to getting sacked, like those are 100% coverage sacks. And the Bengals were dialing those plays up for third down. And this is why this, this idea of like, well, just make adjustments. Like just change. It's not working. So – it, it's such a small sample size and such a crazy, like, so if you look at Kansas City, right, the first half, everything they've been doing has been working. Everything's turned to gold. It's phenomenal. And then you get the second half. You start off and, you know, you get uh, six yards. You, can, you pick up the first down. Then it's second and six, third and six. And that's when something bad happens, you immediately have to, you have to punt the ball away. So that's the first drive, essentially, all game where it hasn't gone right. The next time they get the ball, basically the same drive all over again, right? They, they pick up one first down, and then, boom, stalls out. Second and six, third and six, incomplete, punted away. So now you're like, all right, now we've got two drives uh, in a row where we haven't got it, really gotten anything going. On the other hand, it's basically two third down plays where we, we just haven't executed. So now Cincinnati goes on a touchdown drive, chews up most of the quarter, and you get the ball back again. There's three, there's three minutes to go in the, in the third quarter. That's the interception to B.J. Hill. So now the ball's gone again. You're, all of a sudden, you're getting late in the game. Your, your second half is, is going to hell, but it's basically off the back of two third-down plays. So do you immediately go, well, all right, everything we've been doing, junk the game plan, it's not working anymore. Or do you go, we've just not executed twice, and all of a sudden this is a game again. Like, it's so hard, I think, from, you know, everybody sitting on their ass on the couch is like, well, just make some adjustments. How can you not see that things are different now, that, that you need to change things? If you're, like, coaching this game live from the sideline, you're looking at this and saying we're two plays away, two executing plays away on third down from this being, you know, another, like a, a multiple score lead again. We don't, like, don't panic. Don't go and change something crazy based off the fact that we haven't executed twice. Yeah, and I want to get into, like, the, the Bengals' offense versus the Chiefs' defense and all that stuff, but because we're just discussing Chiefs' offense right now and right. how those negative plays – were so huge while Mahomes is taking these negative plays, Joe Burrows on the other side, Houdini out, you know, Houdiniing out of sacks, making plays. No, I don't think you can verb Houdini. You could do whatever you want with it. Uh, looking like Houdini, yeah. uh, breaking out of sacks or, you know, running for, for third downs. And it, you know, those, 
those plays were massive for the Bengals offense, which I do want to touch on in a minute here. But um, I think, you know, what you said, those the four sacks by Mahomes, almost nine seconds. Uh, there was only one where I think you you would there was only one that really wasn't on Mahomes. Right. There was only one where Trey Hendrickson clearly just beat Orlando Brown, beat him around the edge and, and took Mahomes down in, in reasonable time. The other two sacks, um, there was one on third down. Second one on third down was was Hendrickson. So then we get to Cincinnati's up 24 to 21. The Chiefs are driving, and now it just – it's got that feeling, right, Sam? It's like, well, here the Chiefs go again. Like, you just can't stop this offense. Even though they were slowed down a little bit in the second half, they're still going to get theirs. Um, almost to the point where there was discussion as to whether or not the Bengals – should let the Chiefs score. Yeah. Because say what you want about Romo, again, the Bengals scored with about six minutes left, and he's like, hey, the Chiefs can just, you know, play a patient game, and the Bengals might never see the ball again. And and he was kind of right. So we're sitting here at second and four. They got really conservative on that drive. They, like, backed way off. They were giving Kansas yeah. City these easy completions, like a spot drop cover three on third down. Like, the, the opposite of what they were doing before, where, you know, they're getting – on third down, they they – they tighten up, they start bracketing people, and they really take away anything easy. Third Key third down, and they're just like, everybody just get to a landmark. And Mahomes like, oh, thanks. Like, let's just hit, let's just hit the open receiver in between these two zones. Let's pick up a first down and keep going. And then Romo was talking about, like, when do you, when do you dial one up and get aggressive? Because right. you either need to hold them completely or you need the ball back. You can't hedge and sort of play the middle because that's that's when you get that scenario where the Chiefs just chew up all of the clock and you don't get the ball back at all. So then we get to that, uh, as I said, Q4, fourth quarter, minute 26 left. It's second and four. Again, the Chiefs are down three. So they're in field goal range. You think, okay, at worst, you're going to get a field goal, but they're going for the score, right? They want to go up by a score. Bengals had one timeout left, I believe. So they would have had, you know, not a ton of time and they would have needed a touchdown. Second and four, Mahomes takes takes a sack. And this is another one where um, it's play action. I don't think it's an RPO, so he doesn't necessarily have to get rid of it. Nothing's there. He tried to do his little spin-a-rooney move and the Bengals were on it. And it's just a huge play because he lost – three yards there instead of throwing the ball away. And I think you could say, hey, did, did he want to keep the clock running just to make sure the Bengals didn't have time? I don't think he's thinking that. I think they're he's thinking, I want to win this game. And he's trying to create a big play, and he just can't do it. And the Bengals did a great job. What they weren't doing in the first half, keeping him in the pocket and containing him, they did a great job containing him. And uh, Sam Hubbard gets in there for the sack. And then the one that would, you know, the Chiefs ended up losing anyway. The Bengals ended up winning, but the third and nine, now it's 39 seconds left. Third and nine now from the nine, third and goal from the nine. And Mahomes hold, this is the one that skewed the time to throw stats, Sam. This is like 15 seconds in the, what was the official time here? What did we have? 9.6. I guess this didn't skew yeah, it, it too didn't much. didn't skew it much. 9.6 seconds. And Mahomes takes it from, what did they, they lost 17 yards and he fumbles after holding the ball so long. If the Bengals hadn't rushed three and they had someone else to recover this thing, then uh, 
it could have been the end of the game. Joe Tooney jumps on it to save the game, and the Chiefs get to at least kick the game-tying field goal to go to overtime. But this was just a just an incredible turn of events here. And again, I think you know part of like this didn't lose the game for the Chiefs, but it really it almost did because Mahomes was just Mahomes was just you know his negligence with the ball in the pocket. I, I was thinking in this game that like third down sometimes feels like everything in a game. Yeah. Uh, the second Playoff football. Yeah, the second half for the Chiefs. Obviously, the first half, the second half splits generally across the board were kind of crazy. But the second half and overtime for Kansas City on third down. So eight third down plays. They got two first downs and they averaged minus 1.1 EPA per play on those third downs. So Kansas City was just a disaster on third down in the second half and overtime. And even if you... You know, if you include the first half, it, it it's not that great. Like they just didn't do that well overall on over on in, on third down. But in the first half, they they had four uh, first downs. They picked up four. Uh, they sorry, four third downs. They picked up four first downs. So they were a hundred percent. They converted every third down they had in the first half. The second half and overtime that dropped to two from eight, and they just couldn't get those drives going. And that like those kind of opportunities. In the NFL, in this world of of offensive production, that's all you kind of need. Like Cincinnati's defense just showed up on third down in the second half and stopped those drives for Kansas City, which is enough. It's enough for that offense, Cincinnati's offense, to claw that deficit back and tie it up. So I just want to get to overtime quickly because the Chiefs won the toss. Hmm. One week removed from they won the toss, therefore they won the game. Yep. And all of the overtime discourse. And half the people saying, hey, just play some defense in overtime. It's half the game. And everybody was yeah. acting like the same thing, right? Including the players. Joe Burrow, like hands to the head, like, oh, no, we just lost the, the coin toss in overtime. Mahomes, you know, is giving it the like fist pump. Yes, we get the ball. And everybody's like, all right, game over. Here we go again. We're going to have the exact same thing. And it was funny. I didn't tweet it at the time, but you're thinking, like, this isn't the same as last week when everybody who had the ball late in that game was scoring immediately, right? And you're like, this last week it felt inevitable that whoever got the ball in overtime was immediately scoring a touchdown, and this was game over. We've just watched the Chiefs get nothing going in the second half. They scored their only points in like that final drive, and it wasn't like that final score was, you know, this dominant display of offense. This is not, this is not the inevitability that people are making it out to be. No. And it certainly wasn't on the field. I'm torn on that. Right. Because, uh, you know, half of it is like, okay, you know, what you just saw is, is really a small sample size of the second half with the Bengals, or is it really the Bengals have figured something out and they're just playing really well. Uh, but I think you just you, you just saw a continuation of uh, the Chiefs really struggling to move the ball and the, as they were in the second half. The first pass, Mahomes overthrows to the flat. Uh, was it Chita Bayouzier down there? Like if he was yep. looking for it, maybe had a chance. But I knew it was just airmailed to the flat. The second one was more of a miscommunication, I think, than anything. Mahomes tried to throw a, a hitch, a little little two yard hitch. He may have been a little too quick on it, but. He's throwing a hitch. Uh, was it Demarcus Robinson runs a slant? Eli Apple would have had the game-changing interception goes through his hands again. Uh, 
it's another like uh, tip of the cap from me to Trayvon Diggs right there. Eli That's Apple. the one where we would look and Trayvon Diggs would catch it like, yeah, but, you know, it wasn't even the route. It was a miscommunication. The QB threw it right to him. Yeah, but but Trayvon Diggs would have caught that thing. He would. And Eli Apple in two games against Mahomes has had the ball thrown into his hands late in the game on both occasions and has come up empty like yeah. that. There is a legitimate real value to that. Okay. In neither case did it actually cost the team on the basis that Cincinnati won both those games and, you know, the sequence of the, of the things that happened after that, the dropped interception was pretty important, but that is two games now, back-to-back performances against Patrick Mahomes where the ball has been thrown into Eli Apple's hands and he has come up empty on both occasions. And look, this is a guy who, dating back to college, that he just he is the, the walking embodiment of that adage that, you know, if you could catch, you'd be playing on offense. Like <laughs> Eli Apple plays defense because he cannot catch the ball and never has been able to, dating back to college and, and his NFL career, like that's a pretty important skill. If the ball is thrown into your hands, you have to catch that. Then you get, so that's second intense. So you've got an overthrow, a dropped interception, and then on third down, the Bengals do get the interception. An incredible play by, by not the guy that got the interception. Jesse Bates yeah. covering the deep over route against Tyree Kill. Just perfect. Hands right in between, uh, you know, knocks the ball right, right in between Tyreek's hands, knocks it out. Um, pass does get intercepted this time and Von Bell picks it up and they, in the Bengals get, you know, it wasn't really a punt. I mean, it was, it was, it was played like an arm punt or whatever, but the Bengals got good field position coming out of this. They got the ball at the 45, their own 45. So third down interception that uh, Jesse Bates just makes it happen. And Bates has made so many huge plays. He did have an up and down season. Um, he gave up a lot more this year than he, than he had in the past, but he was all around the ball during this entire, he has been all during this entire playoff run. He tips it away. Von Bell uh, catches it. And that's just the complete opposite of what we saw from Kansas City's offense in overtime last year, last week. Yeah. Jesse, and then the Bengals, Jesse the Bates, ball down has, and got uh, a field goal range. But Jesse Bates has made some of their biggest plays in the playoffs. Like he, remember the first play against Tennessee where he jumps in front of it, snags the interception. He was the driving. Uh, force behind this interception. He's made some of their biggest plays and is a pretty big reason that they're in the Super Bowl right now. But it is, it's kind of incredible that we are, we're a week removed from Patrick Mahomes is inevitable when he touches the ball in overtime. You might as well just go home. They're scoring and you're, you're gone. You're not winning. Um, to Mahomes gets the ball and all three of the passes he attempted in overtime could have been intercepted. Like you had the overthrow to Awuze. He was keying on the receiver. If he'd been paying attention, I think that was a pass he could have snagged. Okay, the second one was some kind of miscommunication with Demarcus Robinson, but that was right into Eli Apple's hands. And then finally, the third one, the probably the least egregious of the three, uh, Jesse Bates makes a great play on it, and that's picked off. But we went from Mahomes is untouchable and you can't do anything about it. You might as well go home. He has the ball now to, to him putting the ball in the air three times and all three of them could have ended up as an, as a turnover. Yeah, it was a, a complete turn of events and, and credit the Bengals defense, man. They were, they were really, really good in that second half and they took away what the chiefs wanted to do. Um, I do want to flip it to the other side and, and talk, Bengals offense. I also want to talk about what this means, you know, going forward for 
for the losing teams as we go here. Uh, but don't forget our friends over at DraftKings, the moment we've been waiting for since September. It's finally here in honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. If Sportsbook isn't yet available in your state, DraftKings daily fantasy football contests for Super Bowl 56, you can still play. New customers can get a free shot at a million-dollar top prize with their first deposit, and all you got to do is download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. It's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. Got to be 21 or older. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, you got to call or text the Tennessee red line. That's 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y. That's 467-369. That's right. It's a lot of stuff to do. A lot of numbers. But there's a lot more fun you can have over with DraftKings Sportsbook. Official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. Let's go. Uh, Bengals on the other side, Sam. I think my, my biggest takeaway earlier in the game is the Chiefs they made their adjustment, right? Like they they just came out and said, Jamar Chase will not catch 12 passes for 266 yards. We are not leaving Jamar Chase one-on-one. And they did a really nice job of, you know, bracketing him and, and making Joe Burrow and the Bengals go elsewhere. I thought, or, you know, it worked early for the Chiefs, but the Bengals generally just said, okay, I'll, you know, Burrow had to get rid of the ball quicker and he did. And he did it by going away from Jamar Chase. And that was the, the early game plan, I think, that stuck out for the Chiefs defense. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, the narrative is going to be Joe Burrow does it again, Joe Cool, you know, all those kinds of things. And he he made some really big plays at, at some critical junctures and was a, a big part of Cincinnati going forward. But he looked a little bit off. Like, this was not, I think, one of his best games that we've seen. Obviously, there was the... There was a couple of turnover-worthy plays in there. There was the actual interception, which was a an underthrown, not a great ball that, that they were able to drive on and turn that great over. Great play by Legereus Sneed. Yeah, Chiefs a great play. Right. And so I think that was a good example of what was interesting to me in this game is it became pretty clear very early on that the officials were going to call nothing, right? Right. Like we are basically do, we're going to throw almost no flag. Don't throw a flag unless you absolutely have to. So all of a sudden you're like, if you're coaching this game and you're on the sidelines, you should be, let's start pushing, let's start pushing the boundaries here because they're not, they're not calling any of this stuff. If you're, if you're playing in coverage, get more aggressive with the guy you're trying to cover. And Mike Hilton, I thought in particular, did that well throughout the game. As soon as the game started to progress, Mike Hilton's playing these plays where he's getting pretty grabby, pretty physical at the, during the route knowing that they're not calling it, and you can get away with that. And those are the things that steal you a little bit of separation back and, and allow you to contest targets. That When you talk about halftime adjustments, like you said, it wasn't necessarily something schematically. Was it just that? Was it just, hey, the refs are letting us play more physical. Let's do that. And the Bengals finally 
not finally, but they just caught up to what they realized the refs weren't calling early in the game. Yeah, and I think the Sneed play was another example of that, where he got he got away with a little bit of a, a grab or a hold or whatever you want to say, and it was it was maybe a marginal one anyway. I'm not sure it gets called in a regular game, but it's the kind of play that you can absolutely start to make in this game because you know they're not calling that stuff. So Sneed is able to do that little Revis thing of would just keep hold of this jersey, just make sure he doesn't get two, three yards of separation that I can't get back, and then I can drive on the ball and make a play. And it was sort of underthrown. It was a bad ball by Burrow anyway, so may not have mattered. But that was one play. And then the, the inexplicable throwaway, I guess you call it, where he dumps the ball on the sideline to Nick Bolton, the Chiefs linebacker, uh, and gets lucky because Bolton doesn't come up with it. But I have no earthly idea what he was trying to do on that play. But that's another one where he put the ball in harm's way. But even even taking away the the plays where he threw the ball to defenders, he just he wasn't as deadly accurate. The ball wasn't being placed with the the normal precision that it usually was. Like Burrow was just not quite where he's been for the last long number of weeks now. Yeah, not to take anything away from Burrow because I, I do think I think you are maybe understating some of the big plays. I mean, yeah, maybe he was off a little bit with some of the throws, but broke out of the pocket multiple times as a scrambler, broke out of the pocket to find Jamar Chase on a huge play. The Bolton play, though, that's another one of those like narrative changers. It's the fourth yeah. quarter. The Bengals were making their comeback. The Chiefs could not do anything offensively, and Burrow almost handed them the ball at the 37-yard line uh, you know, in their own territory. It looks like he's just trying to throw the ball away. It's just second and six, and it, it, he just doesn't get it out of bounds or he doesn't see Bolton or something. Um, but this is, you know, the Bengals, you know, Burrow got away with one there that Bolton dropped it. The good plays, though, as I mentioned, finding Chase uh, after scrambling around a little bit. Burrow was under. Would it surprise you if I told you Mahomes was only under pressure 11 times? No. Four of which became sacks. Like, there was not a really a ton of pressure from the Bengals and and Burrow was under pressure 17 times and even other times it did feel like he was rushed a little bit it did feel like they felt I mean there was a couple plays early where the offensive line again it's Adenogy and Jackson Carmen at right guard they were absolutely whooped quickly and and I think that was part of you know the issue with with the Bengals offense was having you know forcing the ball out of their hands uh, out of Burrow's hands much quicker but People are giving the Joe Cool stuff now because the key third down scrambles, overtime, a couple first down conversions. That's where he always comes through. And this is what I want to say. Like, this is the thing about like the elite quarterback discussion and all that stuff, right? We've been discussing this for years, right? It was Montana and Marino for years and Brady versus Peyton and, and Rodgers and whatever and all this discussion. Like the, the best quarterbacks aren't perfect, right? If you if you want if you want to pick apart, to, I think most people think Tom Brady's the best quarterback of all time, and maybe he just retired this weekend. Who knows? But you could go pick apart Tom Brady's career and find these places where he wasn't perfect. And Patrick Mahomes is supposed to be like the next greatest player. Like Mahomes wasn't great yesterday in crunch time, but he's going to bounce back next year and probably be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. It's okay, right? So, but the best quarterbacks they don't have this like perfect resume but they do have a consistent standard of being able to bounce back when things don't go their way that, i think that's what 
has always separated Brady from others, right? You could pick apart bad games from all these guys, and you could say the same thing about Burrow. There's some bad throws here and there or whatever, and Mahomes generally comes through in all of these situations. He didn't yesterday, but Burrow did, and Burrow now has this consistent trend of being that Joe Cool type of player where you just trust that he's going to get the job done in the end, and he certainly is here in this playoff run. That's where I think the comparisons to Montana are actually really apt and interesting, is that, yeah, like Burrow made some glaring errors in this game, and if if Nick Bolton comes up with that catch, it might be a completely different conversation. And you're talking about this this terrible play that turned the game away from them when when it was falling back towards them after Kansas it, with Kansas City's sort of second half collapse, they get away with it. And this was a lot like Montana, like the number of those plays where Montana's two interceptions deep and then they get the ball late in the fourth quarter and everybody's like, oh, now we're good. Now you can relax. Like Joe Cool's got the ball. We're going to drive down. We're going to score this touchdown and we can all go off to the next game. That's kind of what it feels like with Joe Burrow. There's no... There's no volume of mistakes he can make before he gets the ball in a crunch situation that, that shakes your belief that he's fine. Like now, now is okay. Now we've got the ball in the important time. Here's where Joe Burrow makes the play. And he did make an incredible amount of those high leverage plays in this game. And that, that is a, that's a, an invaluable thing. And for the third week in a row now, they've been kind of riding their luck with those, with the pressure, which is, this is this feels a little bit like, you know, we've said a lot before that you can, you can go on improbable runs that defy regression for like a season. It doesn't necessarily have to swing back in the course of a season. You it, like the whole thing can go until you stop playing again. It's just the long term. You know, at some point it'll come back down to earth. Like Brett Favre in two thousand and nine went all the way until that final meltdown game where he was battered and couldn't really walk on his busted ankle and all those kinds of things. We knew that like this Brett Favre was not going to be long-term sustainable, but it was for the entirety of that season. This is kind of this is what it feels like with Joe Burrow right now. There, you cannot play this well under pressure long-term, but that doesn't mean he can't do it for one more game and keep this ridiculous run going. And even though like the, the sequence of devastating pass rushes they're going up against only gets harder, right? Jeffrey Simmons absolutely wrecks Adenogy in the last game, almost cost the Bengals the game. Chris Jones wrecks the combination of Adenogy and Jackson Carmen, didn't make much of a difference. Now, Aaron Donald is going to be giving it a shot. Like every single week, there's one of the most difficult players in the NFL to exploit your single biggest weakness on offense. And every single week, Joe Burrow goes, yeah, I don't care. Give me the sunglasses. I'm going to go ahead and get it done anyway. Uh, it's yeah, it's the Bengals offensive line. They're not horrendous, but right guards, a massive issue, right tackles below average centers. Just okay. I mean, when just as, as far as pass protection goes. So yeah, we'll, we'll have plenty to talk about. I think with the Rams and that, that matchup with the defensive line there, um, what else from the Bengals offense, right? You get a Samaj P Ryan, you know, that that's kind of what got them going the long screen, you know, taking that to the house. And then as the Bengals started making stops, the Bengals offense, again, that, uh, that burrow to chase play was huge. Uh, absolutely flipped the field on that one. And, and then I, I love when they, when they, uh, when they scored to get to 21 to 19 and they go for two 
the Bengals just put Trent Taylor in number 11, undersized slot, little Trent Taylor, their punt returner. They put him in. I'm like, I think he's, I think Trent Taylor's getting the ball. What did they, and he was wide open for the two point conversion. He's a good, he is a good short area route runner, but that was his only snap of the game. Like the Bengals just said, Hey, Trent Taylor, you're going to recover. You're going to return punts and you're going to catch our two point conversion to tie the game here. And uh, that's your role. And he did it. Yeah. It was kind of, I, I don't, I'm not quite sure how those plays get dialed up where you're like, oh, this is the Trent Taylor play. We're going to we're going to pull in right now. Um, It was interesting. So, as you said, they they really tried hard to eliminate the threat that Jamar Chase brings or at least make sure that he didn't absolutely wreck them, which automatically starts to throw some focus on T. Higgins as like the secondary receiver in this game. And one of the things T. Higgins has been really, really good at in the last couple of years is he has such strong hands at the catch point that once the ball hits his hands, it's he's really difficult to get it out. He will fight through contact and maintain a grip on that ball, even with guys like hitting his arms, you know, trying to make a play on it. There was one game like a couple of weeks ago where that disappeared for some reason and he was fighting the ball and he, he had, didn't bring in a, a two or three passes that in ordinary circumstances you would just bank on those are catches. He's never letting go of that. But in this game was another example where he hit a, there was a few passes sent his way, hit his hands and chiefs defenders had plays on it still. Like they were going for contact. They were going for that ball and like just nothing, you know, nothing came out. Like T Higgins secured those catches and made some really big plays for that Bengals offense. It's if you're going to be that secondary guy, that's such an invaluable skill to have just that, you know, absolute bulletproof confidence that once the ball hits his hands, it's sticking and it's not coming out. Yeah. The thing I love about Higgins too, is you can deploy him and you'll see the Bengals do it sometimes too. And and by the way, CJ Azama gets hurt. Um, That's a huge blow for the Bengals. You know, he does a really nice job working the middle of the field, but T Higgins has the size to win outside or to be, you know, win from those tight splits and, you know, just kind of, you know, be an extra tight end, essentially, at 6'4". You know, we we kept comparing him to kind of a basketball player. You saw the catch radius on a couple, but he worked the middle of the field uh, on that overtime drive, right? So he has the ability to be that big-bodied, middle-of-the-field type of target. Um, and also, he almost hauled in the, the one that you talked about, the pass interference, that second down play early in the game, Burrow kind of put it right on his hands, actually, and yeah, um, and Higgins tried to haul it in with one hand and didn't didn't get it. I think Burrow needs a big time throw for this. Did we give him a big time throw for this one? Puts it right on his hands. Burrow did make some good throws that didn't show up. I kind of in expected, the box score early on. I kind of expected Higgins to catch that anyway, even though he's got one arm wrench behind his back. I kind of expected him to snag that one handed. Yeah, and you were over here talking about his hands. But I mean, that's too honestly, we've talked about this for weeks. The Jamar Chase can take over. That's great. But T. Higgins emergence in the games where Jamar Chase didn't, or even when he did, T. Higgins emergence as that true number two. Tyler Boyd becomes a good number three. Azama's been solid when he's been out there. Um, and the backs have been really good, right? I mean, Chris Evans, I thought impressed me really early in the season, but Samaj P. Ryan, he had the huge play yesterday. He's impressed. Uh, Joe Mixon's made plays as a receiver. So the Bengals are just flooding the field with good playmakers. And that's what happened 
in this game yesterday. Uh, it was just they they continued to battle and make plays in the second half. And Burrow, uh, when you know when it was third down on these key plays, uh, there was a couple scrambles where he just it wasn't one of those like prolonged. He just saw it and went and and picked up the first down. And I think you know picking up a couple extra first downs with your legs in a game is absolutely massive. And that's what Burrow can do. So um, impressive adjustments by the Bengals offense as well uh, as the defense started to give them a chance in the second half. Yeah. I I really think feel that in this game, third down was almost everything like Cincinnati made some really high leverage, big plays on offense on third down and on defense on third down. Like they, they were able to make those big plays and keep the drives alive in those critical high leverage situations. And certainly in the second half, Kansas City wasn't. And every time it got to third down, their drive crapped out and they they stopped scoring. And that that realistically is the story of, of this game, that in the second half in particular, on third down, Cincinnati was able to keep those drives alive and put up points, and Kansas City just couldn't get keep those drives going. And that that score, their 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 points stayed the same. And gave, as long as that happened, it was keeping the window alive for Cincinnati to execute this comeback. All right, man. Well, we spent almost an hour on this game. Uh, So impressed with what the Bengals did. I think when you look at it high level, um, kudos again to Duke Tobin and all the decision makers there in Cincinnati, because in this game, you were just seeing all of the, the free agents, recent draft picks all coming through here an off-season of debating Jamar Chase and Panay Sewell. They're still survi- surviving on the offensive line, and they've got one of the best young receivers in Chase. Uh, Joe Burrow looks like – look, let's not make declarative statements here because we we did this with Mahomes. You, you do this every single year, right? The AFC could be all over the place in coming years because Burrow's here and Mahomes and Josh Allen and Herbert and – and there's others, right? Lamar's still there, and who knows what Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones and some of the other rookies can do, right? The AFC looks like it's going to be really exciting for years to come. I also think high level, Sam, we thought this year was one of those years where the, the quarterback play was was down a little bit. There weren't, there wasn't really a distinct top quarterback for most of the season. We spent most of the year trying to figure out who the best team in the league was. Every team that looked good had some warts. And I think that's why the playoffs look the way they they have, right? And it's still, this wasn't, you know, pristine quarterback play over these last two weeks in the NFL, other than like Mahomes versus Allen, really, in that that one bat match. It was a lot of defense-heavy efforts. Um, But the teams that have the best depth and that are winning on little stuff like third down and red zone and everything, they're the ones coming out on top. So credit the Bengals, man. What a... What a run, and it's going to be exciting here in the city over these next couple of weeks. The people, the people are fired up. Yeah, it's been an incredible performance by them. The only other thing that I think is worth mentioning is, so the two run games, Cincinnati kept plowing Joe Mixon into the line on first down. He had 21 carries in the game. I think 16 of them were on first down. Yep. Like At some point, you are undermining the best player you have in Joe Burrow and putting him in these third and long situations that he has to keep trying to bail you out of. Like we've, we've raised this point before that the Cincinnati's uh, insistence on running the ball on first down is a problem. And it's a problem that is 
that it that they have to overcome if they're going to be the best team they can be. And then almost the reverse was true with Kansas City, that all this, the defensive game plan for the Bengals of two high coverage shells, force them to be patient, um, you know, flood, for, flood the underneath zones, all that was inviting the Chiefs to run. And they weren't running an awful lot. And if you look, like Jarek McKinnon, I think, was averaging almost six yards per attempt. The Chiefs as a team were averaging almost six yards per attempt. They probably should have been doing a bit more running in the second half of that game that they weren't doing. Like, this is one of the reasons that that strategy of two high coverage shells and, you know, take away the deep shot and force them to be patient. It's one of the reasons that works against Kansas City is because they don't like running the ball. Even with this dominant run-blocking offensive line, you can kind of dare them to do that, safe in the knowledge that they're not going to take you up on it. Like, remember when the Chargers kind of did that to Cleveland and Cleveland just went, oh, okay, sweet. We'll average seven yards per attempt on the ground yeah. and you basically won't see the football. That you, you know that the Chiefs aren't going to do that to you, so you can keep doing it all day long. Yeah, it's an interesting one because a lot of the numbers are coming out right now that it's because on this day, Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan both blew big leads, right? Their teams both blew big leads. And when you go back historically, both of those guys have their names close to a lot of these situations where they're blowing big leads. And does Shanahan run the ball too much? Not enough. Well, we'll get to that. Uh, does Reid not run the ball enough? That was the old you know, Philadelphia Eagles fans screaming at him, run the ball, Andy, run the ball. Uh, I think overall he's been on the right side of history as far as, you know, passing more and, you know, opening up the game that way, but probably a fair criticism But like in this particular game. For example, second half, you know, Cincinnati is down big. Like Cincinnati had five more rushing attempts than the, than the Chiefs did in the second half in overtime. Like, at some point, and the Chiefs are averaging 5.6 yards per attempt in the second half in overtime. Like that's, that's the thing about this Chiefs team, right? So, again, we spent a lot of time talking about the Chiefs team building effort this offseason and the, the triple investment that they made in the offensive line versus other things. And, and even though they probably did it mostly to just protect Patrick Mahomes and never let last year's Super Bowl happen again, they turned into one of the best run-blocking units in the NFL. Yeah. You found the best run-blocking center in the NFL and rookie Creed Humphrey. So, you know, they all of a sudden, there, there was a point in the season where the Chiefs' strength was their their run-blocking, which with a healthy Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. Now, you don't want to win games like that necessarily, but you want to have that tool in the toolbox in a game like this, maybe where it's 21-3. to three. And, and you could sit on the football a little bit and not have Patrick Mahomes having to be superhuman and play a perfect game. And then, you know, they fell apart. Yeah, and look, I, like I'm not necessarily suggesting that just because you have a big lead, you pivot to this run-heavy offense and try and chew the clock that way. Because I think, generally speaking, if you're having success, keep doing the thing that's giving you success. But the point is, like Cincinnati's defensive game plan was inviting Kansas City to run when they did run, they generally had a lot of success, and they didn't do it a lot in a situation where typically most teams would be running the ball a lot more than they usually do. So I just think that, I think, was a blown opportunity, that Kansas City was set up to run the ball way more than they did in the second half and didn't do it. And that is part of the reason that those drives were stalling out and they weren't having success. They didn't, they didn't establish the run in that second half the way they could and should have to ice this game away, 
And then Cincinnati, almost the reverse is true. Like they were insistent on trying to run the ball on first down that wasn't having success, and it, it could have cost them. Well, Sam, roses are red, violets are blue. Don't let a wild pube wreck you. What a beautiful transition. Valentine's Day is just around the corner, and our sponsors at Manscaped are here for you with the best tools to get your balls ready for the special occasion. This V-Day, it's time to join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming, for our ex- with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use promo code PFF for 20% off plus free shipping. Holidays went by so quickly. Did you remember to take care of your package with the best tools for the job? Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped is just the thing every guy needs in their life to make each and every day just a little more special. Manscaped proposes making February 13th a national holiday, such as National Shave Your Balls Day. Who's with them? This is one holiday both men and women can get behind. Manscaped created their products for a night like this. It will make your V-Day date say, wow, great set of balls you have there. Get 20% off. Stop laughing. 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscapes.com. It's 20% off with free shipping at manscapes.com. Use the code PFF. Join Cupid and shoot your arrow with Manscaped this Valentine's Day. I'm just saying I've heard a lot of people. The, the, the people have said they're, uh, they're jumping on the, the Manscaped bandwagon here. How many times Thanks do you think that. that sentence has ever been uttered outside of a Manscaped ad read? Zero. You know, wow, what a great set of balls you have there. Congratulations. Zero. That's why, but that's why they're changing the game. <laughs> yeah. Right? All right. Right? You've, it's never been uttered until Manscaped came on the scene. Join the 4 million men, manscapes.com. The promo code is PFF. All right, you ready to get to this Niners-Rams game? Yeah. Rams are going to the Super Bowl, Sam. Yep. Uh, Another game where a Shanahan team has a 10-point lead in the playoffs, but the Rams pull it off 20-17. to Matthew Stafford continues his fourth-quarter magic. There's a lot to unpack in here as well. The Jimmy Garoppolo story. Uh, Yikes, he kept trying to throw the ball to the defense, finally achieved it on that last play. But uh, the Rams continue to have their moves pay off with uh, Odell Beckham and Vaughn Miller and Matthew Stafford and everything. The Rams going to the Super Bowl. What are your initial thoughts on this one? Yeah, so far their their strategy is working. Right now, it comes with the caveat that it's kind of like a binary thing. Like if you win the Super Bowl, everything you did made sense. If you don't, the whole strategy was to win a Super Bowl. So is it like if the Rams lose now, did it work? Yes. I think so. See, I think that's debatable because, I mean, we, we expected them to be a contending team anyway. Okay, they've they probably made that more sure than, than it was otherwise. Yeah, I mean, but, like, this is to win doing. a ring. That's all you're doing with the move, right? You're just trying to increase your odds, right? So the, so the Rams team that had Jared Goff at quarterback and didn't have Von Miller and, you know, poor Robert Woods who ends up getting hurt the weekend that they signed – Odell Beckham Jr., maybe that's a wash as far as, you know, if Woods was out there versus OBJ, whatever. But all the Rams did with all these moves was increase, raise their ceiling, right? Raise their ceiling of what they were capable of as a team. And and I think they've done that, right? They beat the Bucs and they 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 win the in the NFC championship and they go to the Super Bowl. And they've probably already gotten their money's worth from from Matthew Stafford. Yeah. And I know it's it won't feel like that if they don't win. 
and it'll feel it'll feel rough when you don't have a second or third rounder if you if you don't win and you know you, you lose those two draft picks and you don't have a Vaughn Miller to show for it because he's a free agent. But I think they made the moves to increase their chances. So from a process standpoint, this has paid off so far. Yeah, but the difference is that they the the increase in your chances of winning comes at great cost because of the way you're doing it. So both the salary cap and the picks that you're trading, like not, not just the second and third rounder, but the first, and like they are trading away all of these picks to make these moves. Like, and most people would argue this is very damaging to a long-term ability to, to keep a roster together or construct a roster. And if that's true, I think there's a bit more debate there than people are willing to entertain but if that's true then it kind of doesn't work unless you actually get the thing at the end of it unless you successfully win a Super Bowl Um, but for now it's working right it's got them in the big dance and I think they've got a they'll be favorites right they'll they should be they should be favorites over Cincinnati and I think they match up reasonably well with Cincinnati so right now it's tough to argue with what the Rams are doing what is fascinating though in this game is it's like it was the two quarterbacks Jimmy Garoppolo the the determination that guy has to throw the ball to the defense is staggering um and then on the opposite side you've got the Matthew Stafford thing and the debate around Stafford is just it's amazing because Stafford again was really really good other than the point he threw other than the time he threw the ball right to the defense and could have ended the game like, which is kind of what it was the week before, except the, 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 the play, right? The one, like, Stafford brain fart play came right at the start of the game, and it basically didn't matter because the Bucks didn't come up with it. Remember, he threw the ball right to a Tampa Bay safety in the end zone who didn't come up with it, so we don't, like, we pretend it didn't exist, didn't happen, didn't affect the game. It's a coulda, woulda, shoulda play, didn't happen. You guys, your PFF with your, your almost plays, like, we forget about that, right? This week was more interesting because it happened late in the game and it was like a massive swing play. If and, and Stafford just airmails it right to the single, right to the free safety, drops the ball, um, and that like that's the Stafford debate in a nutshell. Like he was really good, other than that one play which could have ended the game for them. Not like completely, but could have. That could have been the difference between winning and losing this game, and that's like Stafford in a nutshell this year. Like he. He's been everything they wanted him to be, and he's been the things that they didn't want him to be as well. Yeah, but I think it's – in this game, I think we got to give Stafford far more credit than blame. I mean, not even blame. I mean, there's nothing to blame. They won. Because I, I, even that first interception was kind of unlucky. Yeah, yeah. I'm not – It was a little off. First one's and, fine. So he throws – and this was a big part of the game, right? The Rams were up uh, – the Rams that were sitting on seven points for quite a while – even though they were dominating on third down, like a lot of it didn't seem to make sense. The Rams kept moving the ball, moving the ball. They just could not put points on the board. Uh, but part of that was the the end zone interception that Stafford threw, got tipped up, got picked off. Um, little unlucky that it got tipped up like that. But he just, you know, him and Cup, man. I mean, that slant that he threw to Cup on fourth uh, on third down, just put it exactly where it what where it needed to be. Just a lot of big throws from Stafford in this one. Um, the one you're talking about didn't make a ton of sense. I mean, it was like a first down, looked like an arm punt, 20 yards short. 
that was right in Jaquiski's Tart's hands to the point where it was Joe Buck was just like, and intercepted. Oh, no. Like he actually yeah. said intercepted because it was just, it was there. Um, you also had the pass though to Ben uh, Skoranek. Yes. In the end zone. That play that. didn't make I mean, sense either. Did, like three people lost the ball in the lights. Like what happened there? Both Niners defenders just stopped, couldn't find the ball, and Skoranek looked like he never caught the ball in his life. He had, uh, Stafford had two really nice passes that were dropped uh, in the first half. They were almost back to back. It was like sometime late in the second quarter, um, Cooper Cup drops a, a dig route that Stafford fits between an underneath guy and, a, and the, the, the guy trailing Cooper Cup, hit him in the hands, and Cup just just lost it, didn't, you know, went, was running, and was running to serious open real estate. Like, that could have been, could have been a touchdown, um, and Cup just lost the handle on the ball, drops it, and then that bombed to Skoranek. And as he said, multiple people were, op- multiple people were open on that play. Bizarre. Like he, Skoranek went full Troy Williamson. Like the ball drops into his hands. Okay, he has to make a slight adjustment to it, but just just stone-handed drop the thing, and that that's a 50-yard, like, well, 40-something-yard touchdown bomb that Stafford throws that isn't caught. So there's swings and roundabouts on this thing as well. Like the game would have been much different if either one or certainly both of those passes are caught. But this is what, this is what fascinates me about Stafford is he has become – this like narrative machine of a quarterback where there, there's a whole group of people that are invested in this either way. There's the people that, that have been, you know, there's the, the people that were saying Stafford is like a top three quarterback in the NFL and comparing him up with Sean McVay is going to create these fireworks and amazing and everything is going to be like, it's, he's going to be look like the best QB in the league. They're going to win a Super Bowl. It's going to be fantastic. You, Guys, you just didn't appreciate how much Detroit was dragging this dude down. And then there's all the other people that are like, there's a reason Stafford didn't win in the playoffs in Detroit, and it isn't Calvin Johnson, and it isn't the Lions, and it isn't the offensive line. Like, it's just Stafford. This is who he is. And now, in, in every one of these games, within the game, it's swinging in either direction, right? Like, these are the, the, the drop passes. Those are the plays the first guys are looking at. Like, would you look at this guy consistently getting let down by everybody, right? He's out here delivering dimes, and Skoranek acts like he's never seen a football in his life, and Cooper Cup, one of the best receivers in the league, is dropping these passes. What can the man do? And then the other gr- group of guys are saying, like, look at late in the game, the dude throws the ball right to a safety and almost costs his team. But what just fascinates me about Stafford is that the narrative, like it's somewhere in the middle, always with Stafford. But within games, he gives everybody ammunition to be right. Yeah, it, it, there's there's definitely a lot of that. That was the um, Niners were up seventeen to seven. I want to circle back to how they got there, but seventeen to seven, uh, Rams started to make the comeback. Stafford throws it up. Chiquisky Tart drops it. Next play hits the cover two shots. Odell Beckham, Jimmy Ward, yeah, cheap shot on Odell Beckham, helmet to helmet. That was bad. I mean, he just like went low and made sure he hit him in the head, which was bad. Um, I mean, just those two plays absolutely flipped the field, flipped the whole entire script for this game, and was a was a big catalyst for the Rams' comeback there. Those uh, plays, for, yeah, there was that the entire kind of there was like a five minute period in the for, in the fourth quarter that determined this game. So there was that that sequence where 
Uh, Stafford throws the ball right to a safety with like, what, nine something left? Um, drops the ball. The next play, you get the big play and you get the 15 the yard unnecessary uh, roughness penalty, the, the illegal hit. Um, that, like, such a huge swing in momentum. You go from, like, absolutely disastrous play on offense to give the 49ers the ball to actually, no, scratch that giant chunk play in your favor instead. But just before that, you had um, you had the 49ers punting when they had a real shot at, like, sticking the dagger in and trying to really ice this thing. Um, but, it, like, they... The, the Rams called, called timeout and gave the 49ers a chance to, like, think about it, right? And to kind of, here's a minute. What is your best fourth and two play? And this is, it's inside the Rams territory. It's like the Rams 45-yard line. You've just given Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers, like, a minute. If they were, one of the things I think we've talked before, right? There's the, there's the choice between do you go for it or not? And then if you're going for it, what play are you pulling out? And most of the time you're making that calculation kind of on the fly. You got 35, 40 seconds to figure this out and, and run the thing. When you call timeout, all of a sudden you get a break and you can go, all right, if we're going for this, what's the best play we have to pick up two yards on fourth down? And instead of that, they lined up on offense and just did that thing of like, let's try and draw them offside and get a free first down. Uh, but they never had any intention of going for it. They took the delay of game. They then punted it away from the 50 which ranks, uh, there's a, a Twitter account out there called Surrender Index, which kind of charts, yeah. you know, how cowardly, essentially, every punt is in the NFL. And this was in the 88th percentile of cowardly punts. Uh, but that, like, you've got to be aggressive if you want to win a Super Bowl, right? At some point, you kind of have to sack up and make a play. And fourth and two with that offense Kyle Shanahan didn't want to do it. Like the guy is, I think, I think Kyle Shanahan has been scarred by 28-3. I don't think he wants to make the play that he's going to need to make at some point to win a Super Bowl. Is, is the scarring making him too conservative, not conservative enough? Like what is it though? Well, because... here it was too conservative. Like fourth and two from midfield, go for it. Make the play. No, I know that. I mean, I know that, look, the fourth quarter – a lot of the second half decisions on both sides were were rough. I thought Sean McVay was just making emotional challenges left and right. I mean, I, and I thought it would come back to bite. Obviously, it didn't. But McVay has a, a third quarter challenge, and like I, I, we haven't put numbers to this, and we do need to the the value of the second half timeout. But I mean, we all we all watch football, and we you know you know how much the difference between one and two and three timeouts is at the end of a game when you're either down and trying to stop the clock or you're up and trying to make a comeback or whatever it is. But McVay has a challenge on a Stafford failed QB sneak. And this is a big part of the Rams not being able to score, right? They're moving the ball. They had the, their first touchdown drive was 18 plays, 97 yards. I mean, they were moving the football but they have a red zone interception. They have a fourth and one stop in San Francisco territory. They went for it, but they, um, you know, Stafford gets stopped on the sneak. It was, a, you know, Stafford's had, you know, not the best sneaks in the world. Why is he so bad at sneaking the ball? I don't know. That guy is six foot three, 220 pounds. And I honestly think I have a better shot of picking up a QB sneak than he does at this point. Yeah, yeah it weighs like me by like 50 pounds. Wins. You, could, you could burrow in there. I mean, he's just terrible at it. 
Like, and probably so. So they challenge it. They don't get it. Niners come back and score. That's how they got up 17 to 7. But in the fourth quarter, you have McVay. Did, what, did they blow one other timeout? So that was it. Yeah, it wasn't. So they didn't call a timeout to give give the 49ers a chance to think about that fourth and two. That was the challenge, was the challenge. right? The right. The the Forty Niners ran that play, the Trent Williams in motion thing. You know, they they put Trent Williams in motion to block a guy on the edge and just torpedo him, and they right. tried to like they tried to be like a tendency buster. So instead of running that outside, uh, following Trent Williams block, they sent Kyle Juszczyk back inside on the dive and tried to like fake out where the defense was going to go. Again, the thing that we talked about, right? They try and this endless sequence of small edges and trying to do the opposite of the thing you think they're going to do. They tried to do that in this play. The Rams defended it well. They stuffed Juszczyk up the middle, didn't get it. And then Sean McVay challenged it. He tried to be like, no, the ball came out. It's a turnover. It's like, well, you're getting the ball anyway. Like, what do you, they're not, they're not going for it. Like you're getting the ball back. Why are you challenging for like the field position difference between the punt and picking it up right here. And in challenging it, a challenge that they weren't going to win, they gave the 49ers like a couple of minutes to gain this out and go, it's fourth and two. What's the best play we have to pick this up? And instead, the 49ers went, well, let's, let's pretend we're going to go for it and hope they'll jump offside and give us the free first down. Like that, that was one of those plays. Remember a couple of weeks ago where you basically dared Aaron Rodgers to make plays before halftime as opposed to they were going to give you the drive and just go into the, lo- the locker room. And you went, no, let's start calling timeouts. And then Aaron Rodgers dials it up and goes, all right, let's start marching down the field then. Like, this was another version of that where McVeigh basically dared them to do the thing that was going to hurt him the most. He tried to, get, tried to get cute, tried to steal a possession, not even a possession, tried to steal some field position with the challenge what the 49ers could and should have done at that point is taken two or three minutes of the, the challenge time to dial up their best fourth and two play and stuck a dagger into the Rams' heart, and instead they got, they got gutless and just punted the ball away. Yeah, I mean, so you know, to your point, the Niners came out in a punt formation when McVay threw the challenge, right? So you knew they were punting, yeah. right? This wasn't you – know, you knew this was happening. If you're – I mean, if you're on the other side and you're and you're punting on fourth and two, a lot of the explanation is often, well, I got to trust my defense or play field position game and all that stuff. You have to honestly assess if you're if you're trusting your defense and that's your play, or if you're saying, hey, our defense is playing pretty well, we're going to keep it in their hands. You have to be able to honestly assess their play. As I said, there was an end zone interception, which yeah, you could say, hey, credit the defense, we stopped them. But you could also say the Rams were marching up and down the field. And it was really two plays where the, D, the Niners defense stopped them. There's the fourth, there's QB sneak, and then the, the red zone interception. The Rams had just gone seven plays, 75 yards to make it 17 to 14. So, so the Rams have been moving the ball quite a bit. You're the Niners. You're honestly, the Niners should look at their offense and say, outside of a 40 plus yard screen pass to Debo Samuel, what have they done offensively? They've had a, they got a couple big pass plays, including Debo just running through the defense, like the freak that he is for their first touchdown. And they haven't done anything right. When are you going to get into a better spot? Fourth and two, go make a play Niners offense. Instead, 
You punt it to the Rams. Uh, it looks like so McVay also, this was his second challenge in his last timeout. So now for the for the last 10 minutes of the game, the Rams didn't have a timeout or a challenge, which almost never, you know, you almost never get away with that, but it, you know, it worked out. But again, the Rams come back, they get the game tying field goal at 17-17. The the Niners come back with just a disastrous drive, incomplete, delay of game, incomplete, incomplete. You got a punt. And then the Rams drive down and take it all the way past the two-minute warning to get the the game-winning field goal. And still the Niners had a chance to to drive back and tie, which which they did back in week 18, right? Every time yeah. you know the Rams made a game, you know, what looked like the go-ahead game-winning score, and the, the Niners came back to send it to overtime, but just not this time, man. The pass rush was starting to heat up, you know, and that's the other thing about this. As the Niners get into those must-pass situations, this is where that Rams pass rush can really feast when Vaughn and Aaron Donald can get after it. And it's not even that they dominated or anything in this game, but they're still elite players. Right. And when you get into that situation, man, you just got to avoid it, which takes me all the way back to that fourth and two being the most critical point here. And if they didn't, even if they didn't get it, well, the Rams are still going to probably get, I mean, they already got a field goal. We know that after the punt. So they probably would have had the field goal anyway. And you lost the opportunity to, you know, still have the ball in Rams territory. Yeah, and and I, I look, I really think that there's a big difference between between just being presented with that decision and then getting a couple of minutes to think about it. Like this is what I'm saying is that sometimes those decisions you got to make that call in like 10 seconds because the play clock is running. You, you got to get really rid of don't. It. I mean, you you're talking like the you really don't though, Sam. Right? I mean, you you make those decisions. You know at the beginning of the drive, right? It's first and 10. And like they had, they're sitting there with charts. We create some of these charts for, for teams, right? When it's fourth and two on this particular drive, I've already got my, I've already got this broad go for it decision. Yeah. But again, it's, and you've got a play sheet that you spent all week creating. Here's my fourth and short plays. Here's my third. Here's got my gotta have it plays. You've got all this stuff prepared. Yeah, but again, like that's the stuff that the NFL coaches always talk about in terms of there's the there's the basic theoretical framework of all this, and then there's the 17 things that I want to try and fold in that happened during the game in terms of like how things are going, how our defense is playing, how the right guard is playing, all this kind of crap, right? I am willing to give those guys the benefit of the doubt and say trying to run that combination calculation of what this thing, what the theory is, plus the things that I think really matter, dialing that all together in 10 seconds to make that call is more awkward than people think it should be. And I'm, I think it's the wrong call, but when, you, when you're doing that on the fly, okay, they're lining up to punt on fourth and two, that's not great. But then the Rams throw you a bone and they give you like a couple of minutes to think about it because they make this ridiculous challenge. Now, I think it's a really egregious call to punt it away because now they've given you like a a bunch of time to properly make that calculation to determine, actually, you know what? We really should be going for it here. And hey, they just gave us a break by making us think about it. And we've got a couple of minutes to like really dial in on what the best play should be to pick up two yards to then punt it away, I think is, is pretty egregious. And I mean, ultimately was a real, was a real factor in this game going the other way. Yeah, I get it. I think that's fair. Uh, Jimmy G on the other side. So hang on, before Jimmy G, this was another game where 
like third down was everything. <laughs> like Cooper Cup just on third down in this game was seven for 108 and two touchdowns. Cooper Cup had a good game overall just on third down. Yeah. Like, they couldn't stop him. They could not stop Cooper Cup on third down. Seven catches, six of which were either a touchdown or a first down. Like, one pass thrown Cooper Cup's way did not – sorry, two passes, one catch did not pick up a first down in this game, including, like, remember, the the first touchdown was like a third and 13 corner into the back of the end zone. Like, Cooper Cup – was absolutely unstoppable in this game. Zach Robinson dialing up those third and long plays for the Rams. It's part of his role there. They've been they've made some really big plays this year on third down. Even just Cooper Cup it was a third and ten little slip screen that he picked it up on one of the one of the final drives there too. I mean and yeah. it didn't it you, didn't you matter if they were Cup. playing if they were playing zone or if they were playing man coverage either way Cooper Cup was killing them like the touchdown against zone where he just threatens the safety freezes that guy with the threat of a two-way go okay the cornerback doesn't get enough depth but they're running that to the back pylon he's not going to get there anyway um so that like just a perfect example of he will destroy zone coverage and then later in the game when you got to have it Cooper Cup just hits the hits uh, Kwan Williams just shakes him like Little uh, stutter on the release, boom, inside, gone, catches the ball, you know, runs after the catch. They just, they literally could not stop Cooper Cup, whether it was zone coverage, whether it was man coverage, whether it was off, whether it was press. Again, like third downs are so, so important in these one-off games. And Cooper Cup was the third down monster in this. It is interesting watching these two teams, though, like as much as we talk, hey, MVP is, it's a quarterback award and all that stuff. But when you're watching these games and you're like, man, I don't see a non quarterback that's more valuable to their team and what their success looks like than Cooper cup, or maybe Debo Samuel on on either side Debo because of multiple alignments and, and, you know, taking that screen that should have been a 10 yard, 10 yarder that went for 40 plus, And then cup just always, again, at the way you just described on well, third down, it yeah. doesn't matter uh, because Defenses know, like they, 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 they've heard of Cooper Cup too, right? They know, they know he's the guy on third down, and he's still. The Rams find a way to get him in the right position to get open. Stafford finds him. All of that stuff. Um, Cooper Cup has been just unreal this well, year. So, for example, right? Um, do we say so? Sometimes, like wide receivers, very rarely win those kind of MVP type awards because it always goes to the quarterback. And by definition, like if a receiver had a big game, the quarterback had a big game as well because he's the dude throwing him the ball. But if you look at Stafford's numbers on third down, so Stafford throwing to non Cooper Cup people in third down in this game threw for 17 yards. Like wow. all of the all of the third down production went to Cooper Cup. So what did I say? Cooper Cup was seven of eight uh, for 108 yards, two touchdowns, the one pick, right? Because that was a target to Cooper Cup in the end zone that was batted up. So yeah. outside of that, Stafford was two of uh, seven, two of seven for 17 yards to non Cooper Cup people. So, like, you can say, well, which guy, which was, the, which was the real game breaker here on third down? Third down was everything. Was it Cooper Cup or was it Matthew Stafford? Obviously, it's a combination of both of them because it's a yeah, quarterback. Stafford still team. has to make the throws. Right. Point taken. But 
on the throws that weren't going to Cooper Cup on third down, Stafford essentially got nothing going. It, like, Cooper Cup was the thing. In the end, Aaron Dalton. So, let's go to the other side and Jimmy Garoppolo here. <laughs> Last game as a 49er. Okay, you want to justify Jimmy Garoppolo to me. You think I'm being harsh to Jimmy G. No, I mean, on this playoff run, he's been he's been horrible. I mean, I just want to – can we get – can we get Jeff Garcia's take? <laughs> Neither one of us is qualified having not played in the NFL. So I know. We should shut this thing down. Right. I only wish I'd made it to the NFL so I could comment on that last throw that Jimmy G made. Yeah, I've, I've never been in the trenches, so I can't comment on if that's good or bad. It's true. If only there was a way to know. Man, he was he had other plays where he just kept trying to throw the ball to the defense. As you said, he hit Jalen Ramsey in the hands twice. Had another one he threw into double coverage where he just kind of fades away. Uh, he should have been thrown for the flag that Nick Scott almost had for decapitating Debo Samuel over the middle of the field. Dude, they, the hospital ball. They tried. They like they had this segment pre-prepared. Where it was like uh, everybody's hating on Jimmy G, but his own teammates love him. And then let's pull up a Debo tweet where it's like, oh, what's Jimmy G's win-loss record? I'll wait. Right. Like six seconds later, Jimmy G throws Debo a hospital pass that almost decapitates him. Gets like Debo's down on the ground for 30 seconds while they like scoop him up and get him the sideline. Legal hit, by the way. Just like the ones that are like those are the worst ones, right? Where the receiver is absolutely destroyed with a perfectly legal hit. That doesn't happen unless the throw is vaguely suicidal. Not even su- homicidal, right? Actively trying to get your receiver killed. So this happened like immediately after they pulled up the tweet of Debo sticking up for his QB. And Jimmy G was trying to get his receivers killed all throughout the game. Like, at some point, those are plays that are not good. I understand that, like, you know... Sometimes a receiver is going to have to put his body in harm's way and make a play. But there are other times where your quarterback basically is just hanging you out to dry. And that, like, throughout this entire game, whether he was actively throwing the ball to the defense, whether he was leading his receivers into hell and getting them killed, or whether he was simply just off accuracy-wise, right? Like a, a pass that was thrown behind his receiver, making those guys make adjustments or just... He was just bad in the game. Like, okay, there were some big plays in there as well. Like, he had his, his first big-time throw in God knows how long, and he made some nice, accurate passes as well. But, like, at some point, the guy's an NFL quarterback, right? There's, a, there's like, a baseline of how much you expect the guy to make some plays, you know? Even the worst quarterbacks in the world are not going to be over in terms of making plays and throws. There are going to be some nice-looking throws in there. Here's, That's why they're in the here's NFL. Here's my defense of Jimmy. Okay. In this in this little run here. He's got his thumb taped up. Yeah. He's got a he's a little he's a little banged up. If we're gonna spend the whole season trying to figure out if Baker Mayfield's performance is real, then we could spend a little bit of time. I mean, look, Jimmy, some of these passes, I mean they're they're egregious decisions mm-hmm. too. But they're egregious decisions where he's probably got to put a little something on the ball. And maybe his accuracy's off just a little bit here and there. Like both Two of his turnover-worthy plays are him rolling out of the pocket and trying to find Jalen Ramsey, right? Yes. I mean, like, those are the types of plays. Maybe, but part of this is also knowing your limitations as well. And I think that's that's the bigger issue with Garoppolo. I don't think he 
just like misreads defenses. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think it, there, there are some play. I mean, everybody's got some plays with Garoppolo. There are plays where he's off platform. Like one of them where he's falling backwards. He doesn't have a great arm. He's falling backwards and he's trying to squeeze it in between two zone defenders. It's not like misreading the defense. It's just making plays that he's not supposed to make. But that's like a rookie mistake. Like that is a... That no, is, it's a veteran mistake. Jimmy Garoppolo makes it. Yeah. But that's like a textbook throw that you draw up, you know, in a QB meeting room on a Monday morning and you try to explain to the rookie that you have a quarterback that you can't, you can't make this throw in the NFL, right? This is... The, the NFL defenses are too good if you put that kind of air under the ball over that kind of distance, trying to squeeze it into that tight a window, it will be picked off and you will be at fault and you will not have this job very long. And Jimmy G is still making those throws and is apparently ramping up the frequency with which he attempts them. Like there was one in this game that seemed to be his entire game against Green Bay was just lobbing those passes like late into the flat and hoping that the corner didn't make a break on it and make that play, why the hell is he still doing that? I don't know. I don't know. But in the past, Jimmy Garoppolo had continued to, like he did in the Green Bay game, made made the important plays when he needed to, to uh, to lead the game-winning draft. He was unable to do that in this one. Uh, you know, the Rams, bottom line here, though, I think when you get into those must-pass situations, I, so I, I think the base Niners offense helps to negate a lot of what makes the Rams special, right? You don't have to attack Jalen Ramsey because you have other guys that can get open. They were doing a good job attacking Darius Williams. Your, your, your blocking schemes are, you know, move. They're just moving defenders all over the place. You can double team Donald. You could do all this stuff. Um, but once you get to the end of the game there and it becomes a must pass situation, that's when those guys could take over. And under pressure, Jimmy Garoppolo tried to uh, – he avoided the sack, Sam. Jimmy Garoppolo didn't take any sacks, at least. I was – so when they, when they got the ball back late in the game, and it's like, all right, Jimmy Garoppolo time. We've got two it's, – it's the, it's the exact, like, cookie-cutter situation, right? You have a two-minute drive. Uh, you got, what, 146. Go to work. Go, go win the game. This is, what, this is what all quarterbacks want. They want the ball – in their hands with like 90 seconds and two minutes to work all the time in the world, go score, go score and win the game. And by the, I was going to tweet like Jimmy G does he game winning drive or like disastrous turnover play? Like which one I was going to tweet that poll. And by the time I'd even got it like set up, Jimmy G was like pitching the ball sidearm to uh, straight to the, like straight out of a sack. And you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even get a chance I, to tweet the inevitable, like, it, are we going to get this done or are we going to collapse before we'd already I have collapsed? to ask again. Uh, by the way, Kyle Shanahan came out and said he did not even consider going for that fourth and two. Yeah. So decision was made. Even worse. Why no Trey Lance? Right? On, so say, fourth and two. Why no Trey Lance? So when I was generally against Taysom Hill coming in, it's like back in 2018 when Drew Brees was still playing at a high level. Right? Yeah. When you, to me, when you have an elite quarterback, especially in the red zone, elite quarterbacks who are pocket passers like Drew Brees are, they're the best weapon in the red zone, right? Not the running quarterback. Like the running quarterback's nice, 
but you'd still rather have Breeze, Brady, Rod. You'd still rather have the best quarterbacks, right? Because you got to make tight window throws. So I was generally against bringing in a Taysom Hill for Drew Brees. As Brees started to have, you know, lose some of his skill set, okay, maybe you mix it up a little bit. But it's not like Jimmy Garoppolo is not playing well. He's got the thumb injury that I mentioned. He's you. How do you have so much trust in Jimmy Garoppolo that you're not even going to use Trey Lance at all? But the other for a team that all they do is keep defenses off balance, you could have unleashed him at any point in short yardage, in red zone, as a change of pace, whatever it is. And you keep making this point. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo's turnover-worthy play totals every single week, two, three, four, whatever it is. Like, is Trey Lance – Trey Lance isn't going to beat that. Yeah. That's that's my big point in all this. Like, Trey Lance is not playing because of the fear that he will make the throws that Jimmy G is making, right? Like, Trey Lance, oh, we can't put the rookie out there. He's not ready. He makes too many mistakes, and there's turnover-worthy plays, and that will cost us. It's like, well – are you looking what's happening? Like, what the hell is Jimmy G doing? And Trey Lance, for all the bad, like, he he may well match the turnover-worthy play total that Jimmy G has in any given game, right? You may get two, three, four turnover-worthy plays from Trey Lance as well. But you're also going to get some big plays that Jimmy G almost brings none of, right? One big-time throw in this game, which is his 11th or 12th on the season. Trey Lance will have more than one of those in every game. So for all the bad that he potentially brings, I'm, I'm you're, not, you're I'm at least bringing upside. I'm start, though. I I'm am. Asking him, okay, but I'm, I'm asking him to be a short yardage guy. I mean, if you're, if you're going to start putting Trent, Wilsh, uh, Trent Williams into motion and all that stuff, which, by the way, uh, Eric brings up a good point here, too. When you take – or you brought up a good point on Twitter. When you take an offensive lineman and put him at tight end, they have to sit out a play. Uh, they can't just they, you can't go from an eligible receiver to an ineligible receiver on back to back plays. Now, the McVeigh timeout actually saved that. So when, on the fourth and two, on third and two, the Niners went for it. They did the Trent Williams motion play. And like, if they if they wanted to go for it on fourth and two, Trent Williams either had to play as an eligible receiver again or he'd be off the field. That sequence but, is like a comedy of errors from both head coaches. Like, right? <laughs> like, so that's the other thing about fourth and two. McVeigh gave the Niners the ability to think about it and insert Trent Williams back in on, along the offensive line, which they did so that they could take the delay of game. Yeah. Uh, it's actually amazing. And then they, and, and not, the, at if, no if point. If you're willing to unleash the Trent Williams motion package and, and all this stuff, how are you not putting Trey, Trey, Trey Lance out there in short yardage? Unless, again, there's something we don't know. Unless, does Shanahan not trust him? Does he just not think it's ready? Is he just old school and he's like, I, I just asked my quarterback to execute. I'll do the other stuff with other positions. You know, quarterback's the the quarterback. I, I don't know what the reasoning is there. But if Garoppolo was playing a better brand of football, I would say, okay, you know, stick with it. But he's just not. He's just not. He just has not been playing well. And I can, you know, this isn't new for me. I've been saying this for weeks. Where's where's the Trey Lance change of pace? You know, put put that on the defense. Cover this defense. But uh, they didn't do it. Garoppolo's yeah. going to end the game with three passing at uh, the season, three playoff passing grades under 62. And this one will be the worst of the bunch. Three games under 62. 
It, it continues his streak of multiple turnover-worthy plays, which will be five games in a row now and seven in his last eight. Uh, it makes 12 big-time throws on the entire season. Never more than – oh, sorry, once one, more than one in a game. Um, like, he's just that's, – that's not – that's not good enough. Like, despite all that, he's gonna he's like second in the NFL in yards per attempt. But that is a that's a Kyle Shanahan stat. That's not a Jimmy Garoppolo stat. Okay, he operates this offense better than Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard, but that just means he's better than not great backups. Like that's also I th- I think a lot of Jimmy G's injuries coincided with George Kittle injuries, and yeah. you know the you know so it wasn't like the the backups didn't have a lot of the same situation as Garoppolo. All that said, I've, you know, I've defended him to the point, like there is, there is something to the AB analysis that Shanahan just wins with Garoppolo. And you either think there's something about Garoppolo or Shanahan is so special that if he can win with Garoppolo, imagine what he's going to do with the next guy. But again, there's also a lot of these situations where we've got a late game, disaster here for the for Shanahan and the 49ers but I think like that was the like that's the difference right you get late in the game with either Mahomes or Joe Burrow or whoever the quarterback is you have a really high degree of confidence even if it's unjustified that they're going to go and they're going to score in this drive right two minutes easy not a problem book it mark it down it's going to happen Jimmy G gets the ball with like a minute and 40 something to go and you're like oh, not a chance like this isn't going to happen but like, he just did it Three weeks ago, whatever, in week 18 with the season on the line. And despite that, you had zero confidence that he was going to do it. Like, that's what we're talking about here with Jimmy G at quarterback. Like, there is a complete lack of confidence that he will succeed in these situations, even when he's done it. So, uh, bottom line, when you look at this high level, if you told it was about a year ago that the Rams made this trade for Stafford. And I thought my big takeaway, yeah, it was about a year ago because it was. Is that even possible? Yeah, I think so. Did they make it before the Super Bowl? But were were like yeah, I I think it was. Let me check. Anyway, the the story to me was that the Rams were a good team that wanted to become great. The Niners kind of did the same thing. They were a good team with a Super Bowl with a quarterback that took them to the Super Bowl in Garoppolo. They wanted to become great, so they did it in the draft. And then they play each other in the NFC championship and only the Rams played the guy that they went to get to become great. And look, Stafford played a great game. The way you describe Stafford is like, Oh, there's fodder for everybody. Yeah. He threw the, what should have been the pick here. That was, that was pretty much it. He missed a couple of throws. I mean, that was it in this game. Garoppolo really embodies that. I mean, there are people who are like, Jimmy G just wins. There are other people who are like, dude's a disaster. There's no, there, but Stafford has been legit on this playoff run, and I think he's already justified the Rams' moves. Yeah, a year ago yesterday, January 30th, year ago 2021. Um, Amazing. It was one of my favorite stories last year. So Yeah, look, I, I, don't wanna, I don't want to make it out like I'm too negative on Stafford. He played really well, and in particular, like he gave Cooper Cup all those opportunities. Every one of those third downs to Cooper Cup was pretty much exactly where it needed to go. He also got screwed out of those two big plays earlier in the game, either one of which could have been touchdowns with those drops. Um, The Cooper Cup one, he was hitting him in stride. Cup had some running room and just one guy to beat. A pretty high degree or a pretty high chance that that would have been a touchdown. Obviously, the pass to Skoranek 
was a touchdown if he catches that. So, like, Stafford was in this game very good outside of the catastrophic play. But the catastrophic play could have mattered. Like, that could have been the difference between winning and losing this game. And that kind of is Stafford in a nutshell, right, is that he has always had a much higher propensity than other high-level quarterbacks of throwing one to the defense and throwing the game away. And the question is, do you get away with that? Like, do you dodge that bullet when it shows up? Or can he pull the iron out of the fire when he needs to? Like, if he makes that play earlier in the game, can he? does he have enough time in the fourth quarter to dig himself out of the hole that he just made? But I, I think it's a fascinating discussion because he will consistently give everybody ammunition to act like they're right on Matthew Stafford. And ultimately, I think they're still one game away from this whole thing being a success. Like, I think this was Super Bowl or bust for the Rams. And now they're in the Super Bowl, but that's only half the job. Where are the Niners? So, yeah, I, I think they've, I think from a process standpoint, there's some justification there. You, you definitely want to justify it with the actual ring because that's the goal. But I think the Rams have showed they needed Von Miller on this on this on this run here, on this run. They've needed Stafford, of course, and I think I feel like they've justified it in in a because they're just they're not they're probably not making this run with Goff. Oh, I don't right? think they're, they're I don't think they're making this run. I don't think they're in the Super Bowl without the moves that they've made, and I'm probably any one of them, right? If they haven't made the Von Miller game move, I'm not sure they're here. If they didn't grab Odell Beckham, I'm not sure they're here. If they didn't trade for Stafford, I think they're certainly not here. So from that point of view, I don't think they're in the Super Bowl without the moves that they've been making. But the point about the moves is that unlike a lot of others, like they, there's a high degree to which they've been mortgaging the future for right. this year. That's- now, the only, re- the only way that you can come out of that and say it's been a net win is if it it pushes you not just to the Super Bowl, but to the championship and to the trophy and to the rings, which is still yet to be determined. Where it starts to get complicated for the Rams is three weeks from now when we say, okay, spinning this forward, how do the Rams get better this offseason? Right. Well, they're out. Vaughn Miller's not coming back, and you're out the couple draft picks that you traded for him. You don't have a first rounder for, ne- for the next 10 years, all this stuff. How do you get better? And it's like, well, you have to continue to hit on, you know, rounds two through seven and hit on more Cooper cups and all that stuff. And the point's always been, that's, that's a challenge. But I think, I I think this is what makes the NFL a lot of fun. Not just the fact that we had exciting games, the fact that we love discussing the process behind all of this stuff. The Niners made some crazy aggressive moves this off season. They have a unique style in how they, they run their operation. The Rams have a unique style in how they run their operation. We're seeing it out in real time here, and the Rams have you know, done a nice job so far. We'll see if they can finish it all off. Yep. That's it. Anything else, Sam? We got a big week here. You got a mock draft coming out? Mock draft is out. The, uh, the tweet from the main account just dropped, so uh, we'll, we'll get into that later in the week. We'll figure out whether we're doing it Wednesday or Thursday, but we will run through the first, uh, first of our mock drafts. We've had mocks on the site for a while, but uh, the first time you and I, you or I, are drop, dipping our toes into the water. Yeah, yeah. So you've got, um, 
where is this? I want to see what you did here. I already sent you the, uh, I sent you the, did it up in the mock draft simulator. So there's like a, you know, there's a whole pictorial uh, representation of the draft as well as the, the article. And you, uh, you ignored it when I sent it to you. When did you send it to me? I don't know. Over the weekend, whenever I was doing it. Oh, sorry. Yeah. My apologies. It's all right. I'll check it out. I'll check it out later. Well, go check out Sam's mock draft. It's over at PFF.com. Like he said, I think probably do more mailbag on Wednesday, right? Mailbag, general discussion, a lot of coaching hire discussion, which, which we already hit up on the, uh, the daily today, which might be going live on YouTube in a few minutes. And then, um, yeah, I think we'll, we'll tear apart your mock draft. Good little exercise. You, you're nice and familiar with uh, all the draft class now? Not all of it, but, you know, a decent amount of it. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Senior Bowl week this week. A lot going on. So, uh, look, congrats to the Bengals. Congrats to the Rams. It's uh, it's an exciting Super Bowl. You don't have a Brady. You don't have a Mahomes for the, you know, they didn't get to go for the for the third straight year. It's Sometimes it's good to just uh, to get a fresh matchup in there. Yeah, I, I think this is a fun matchup. Like Joe Burrow and the Bengals, I think we're going to make any uh, super, any possible Super Bowl an interesting matchup just because of how like how dynamic that offense is and how capable they are of executing big comebacks and that kind of thing. Like that's that's a pretty important part of a good Super Bowl. I think is being able to at least convince yourself that like a two score deficit late in the game is not that big of a problem. Burrow and the Bengals, I think, achieved that. I think the 49ers would have been an interesting Super Bowl, but the Rams are as well. This whole Stafford uh, mortgaging the future dynamic is is a really intriguing one as well. And again, that's a team capable of putting up points. So, yeah, I'm, I think this is a, a good matchup to get. And the Rams hosting the Super Bowl, second straight year. Yeah, no, it didn't, didn't happen. Five years of not seeing it. It didn't happen for over half a century, and then back-to-back seasons we get the home Super Bowl thing. Crazy. Even though uh, L.A. was a – they got loud yesterday. I know there was a lot of Niners fans there, but that crowd did get loud at one point. Were they piping it in or what? It did get loud. I think when you just have that many people in the stadium, you don't need that many of them to make you know make it loud. You know, yeah, like maybe. you don't need that larger percentage of the crowd for your home team to be able to make a lot of noise. But that is that's two games now where the 49ers have like taken over that stadium and made it almost like a yeah. home game for the 49ers. Well, I, I'm excited for the game. It's uh, two weeks away. We'll have plenty as far as the preview goes. But uh, it's also off-season mode here because, uh, sorry to the other 30 fan bases, you got no more games left. So it's all draft and free agency talk going forward. So we'll uh, we'll scratch that itch for you in the, uh, in the coming shows. Go check out Sam's Mock Draft over at pff.com. Don't forget, uh, NFL Pod, you get 25% off any PFF subscription. Over on the website right now, NFL Pod, 25% off. And uh, don't use the other. Don't use the other promo codes, just ours. NFL Pod, get you 25% off. All good, Sam? Yep. All right. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you guys on Wednesday. <laughs>